No one covers local, national, and world news like Rich Rothman. And no one covers local, national, and world shipping like DHL. DHL. Customer service is back in shipping. Fresh talk with a South Florida flavor. Are there any women here today? 4 to 6 p.m., 1360 WKAT. Hello, welcome back. This is uh, Rich Rothman, and we're here at uh, 1360 WKAT on the Rich Rothman Show. Wanda's in the booth, and then we have Pat Catania here, sitting right next to me, my left, stage right, my left, uh, from East Coast Public Adjusters. And I should tell you that uh, we're streaming at therichrothmanshow.com, at 1360.com. We're on iTunes. Yay! Yay. And, uh, Speaking of Apple. And, and we're in your car, if you're in your car right now. I just want you to be aware of that on traditional. Our number is 305-447-3201. If you want to call in and and and, uh, and uh, let us know how concerned you are, um, you know uh, I'll say it again: three zero five four four seven three two zero one. Here's here's the deal, and here's where I'm coming from on this, and and this is why I'm I'm very happy to have Pat here. You know, uh, it's hurricane season. It's early hurricane season. We already had two storms out there. One was actually a, a category three the other day. It was at Bertha, I think, out in the uh, west, and it went through the Bermuda Shorts. It just disappeared. Uh, north of us. I don't know why, because it's 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 an El Nino, not a La Nina season, but that's the way that goes. Thank goodness it went away. There was another one. Arthur was on the um, uh, the west coast of uh, Mexico and uh, did a little uh, damage over there, but that went away too. But uh, but we still, when you drive around today, you still see remnants of past hurricanes. And I know, and in my neighborhood as well, we 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 still have some remnants of that, and I have some in my house. And I know I went through a scenario with uh, citizens um, uh, that uh, I showed them what happened to part of my roof. I showed them what happened to doors, and they came and they did a little dance. You know, and I'm an idiot. You know, I'm, I'm dancing with them. And uh, they said, well, you know, uh, it's really not that bad. And the, uh, the doors are made of, they're eight-foot doors made out of metal, and uh, you could probably bend the back. Everything's going to be fine. We'll give you credit towards your uh, deductible, and uh, God bless you, son, and we'll see you. And uh, I'm like an idiot. I'm, I'm not even thinking twice about it. But the reality of it is you can go back and do something about it. And that's the whole point with Pat. Pat's welcome. just wonderful to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. Tell us a little bit. First of all, who is Pat? What, what is a Pat? Tell me about yourself a little bit. I know you're an attorney. We know that. Yeah, I've been doing this for uh, almost 30 years now. I, I chose to, uh, to, to to venture into this end of uh, property adjustment. Um, and it's... It sits well, it, you know. It's 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 a wonderful field. You're actually helping people. Absolutely. Um, and it's a, a profession that's actually opened up in the last five years or so. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's something that it, it. I don't think a lot of people really understand what that means. You know, when someone has an accident and they call State Farm, or in this case, we talk about Allstate in a few minutes. You know, you call your uh, the State Farm guy, and they send an adjuster to look at your car or your house or whatever it's going to be. And most people think that's the end of the road. But the reality of it is that isn't the end of the road, is it? And maybe you don't even have to go down that route. Mm, no, you, you have to report your loss. Oh, of course. Yes. Uh, once that happens, though, you really should get uh, a professional that knows what they're doing to represent you also. Yes. Um, and there are a couple of options. You can hire an attorney, you can hire a, a public adjuster, or you can attempt to do it yourself. Because the reality of it is the agent that, that sells you that policy really 
his loyalty is to the company and not to your betterment to a degree? Uh, absolutely. He's employed by the uh, insurance company. Right. So even though you're insured for $2.5 million limit on this, A, you're not guaranteed getting the, the full value, but he's going to try and give you the least amount that they can get away with for a claim, I guess. Once your agent notifies the insurance company of the loss, right. he has absolutely nothing else to do with that loss. There's nothing he can do for you. Gone. You're now dealing with the age, the adjuster. Okay, so now, having said that, and dealing with the adjuster and people who file claims and we're used to getting letters back saying you're denied or this isn't, even under health insurance, this doesn't count. You know, you're on your own. That's the way it's going to be. Uh, Pat, you gave me a book to read, um, From Good Hands to Boxing Gloves, The Dark Side of Insurance by David uh, Ber- Berard Dinelli. Right. Right, which is uh, briefly, and then we're going to go to some of the Rainmaker. This book really talks about how the industry is not, you're not really in good hands with Allstate to, to a degree, are you? Well, uh, the way it comes out. What's happened in the last 10 years or so, uh, Allstate's hired some independent people to come in and tell them a better way that they can uh, become profitable. And the McKin- McKinley, uh, McKinsey Group is the one that actually did this for them. They also work for other insurance companies. And basically, the only way an insurance company is going to make more money is pay less. Exactly. And uh, I believe that to date, there's about 150,000 pages of, of their uh, report. Which was a very hard pr- uh, project to get. Because they fought it tooth and nail for a long, long time. Yeah, for for years. Yes, until they and then they finally delivered a copy, and the the attorneys couldn't even use it because they had watermarks all over everything. Right, it was redaxed and. Yeah, so they they couldn't do that. Okay, Wanda, here we go. Let's let's just kind of set the the uh, the stage here, and so people understand, uh, you know, what we're all about. And and here's the deal: the movie The Rainmaker, which by the way is again, if you walk into Pat's office, there's this big poster from the movie. John Grisham's story that takes place in the South, it actually takes place in around Memphis, uh, is a story about a young man who is suffering uh, from cancer and needs a bone marrow transplant. And he has, his family bought a policy years before that uh, for him from great benefit, great mutual, great lakes benefit or something like that. And uh, Wanda, let's play cut one, which is the letter, the, uh, the eighth letter uh, that he got back from the insurance company, so we can understand what we call the arrogance of the response. Well, when Donnie Ray was diagnosed, why, why'd y'all wait till now to consult a lawyer? Stupid, I guess. I just kept writing them, and they kept writing me back, and this here is the latest one. Dear Mrs. Black, on seven prior occasions, this company has denied your claim in writing. We now deny it for the eighth and final time. You must be stupid. Stupid, stupid. But that's pretty arrogant. Uh, a pretty arrogant statement, isn't it? I mean, and that seems to be the attitude with some of these guys. I think that sets the stage on on how some of these companies actually operate, and why you really probably need somebody who can step in and help you. And by the way, I should point out the fact that you know uh, Pat does not practice law. That, that was a mistake that I made, and I want to make that very clear to the public right now. But uh, in this case, this this person files a claim. Everyone files a claim. And, uh, and, uh, and, and they're denied. And, and what's, what's interesting, and I'm looking at this book, for example, there's a chart in the book that talks about, uh, this is strictly for Allstate, Pat? Right. Right. That uh, they have, let's see, a percent increase in policies and profits from 1993 to 2005. And, and it goes, <laughs> it's 16% auto policies, 20% 
homeowner policies. Listen to this one, folks. 3,335% net operating profits. Now, now how, do they, how do they make those profits, Pat? How do they get such a whopping profit? Back to what I said. The only way that they can get increased profit is pay less in claims. Right. So, all right, now, here are the people are out there buying policies. Here's another example from the Rainmaker of people who buy what type of policy they sell. Cut number two. First denied it just on principle, and then they, uh, then they said that uh, leukemia was a pre-existing condition, and then they said leukemia wasn't covered in the policy. I got seven letters here. Have all the premiums been paid? Uh, well, according to Miss Black, she paid every single one of them. Yeah, they're bastards. This is a, a typical debit insurance scam. Blacks call it street insurance. Okay, so here we have people with policies. They're trying to get claims. They're trying to do something. And uh, and, and the first thing that the company says is, that I guess they throw up a flak, don't they, Pat? Well, yeah. Uh, for the most part, they're, they're going to make you jump through a lot of hoops to get to what you're actually entitled to. Right. And very often, and they know that the average person, they have a lot of resources. So... For them to go the legal route is a lot of money. The yes. average Joe doesn't have that money and doesn't want to spend that money, and they know that. It, and they have billions of dollars behind them because, after all, they're taking the, these premiums. I mean, there's a philosophy here. There's a there's a whole academics to this whole thing. And that I, I think I when I spoke to Dan from your office, he explained to me how many years. Maybe you can explain this because this is very important. Every year for X number of years, we've all been making payments for insurance. And we never file against it. It just sits there. It goes in and it goes in and it goes in. Let's talk about that and, and this trustee relationship these companies are supposed to have. Well, and, and that's a very, very good point. They're actually administering your money in case you need it. And the longer they can hold on to it, the more they earn fees for administering. Uh, if they deny a claim... Rightfully, everybody should be uh, kept on the same even par. If, in fact, they make it harder for you to present a claim, uh, a lot of people will just go away. You know, there's a lot of misnomers out there. People think if they put a, a claim in on a homeowner's policy that you'll get canceled. There's a big difference. They equate car insurance to a homeowner's policy. It's really almost that people, there's almost this mystique. I feel that uh, there's a mystique uh, about uh, the, uh, uh, the insurance companies and how to deal with them. Because the average person, I don't think, really knows how to deal with this. They, they're trusting. They're trying to trust these people to protect them and make them whole. But sometimes that trust can work against you. Well, that's true. Madison Avenue has done a good job in letting people believe they own a piece of the rock or there's a big red umbrella. Or you're in good hands or with Allstate. Or a good neighbor. Yeah. So what they're really selling, you're right. I mean, that's a very good point. They're selling you a nice marketing image. It's somewhat iconic in the advertising industry. And you feel good about it. With Nationwide, da, 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 you get a blanket. Travelers gives you an umbrella. The impl implication is we're going to keep you out of the rain of life. A cute little gecko. It, it, you have a nice gecko uh, whose uh, mission in life is to run around and protect you and save you money now on your motorcycles as well as your cars. But in reality, it's a trusty relationship, well, and, and you're truth, hoping that they'll be there for you. The truth is it's a contractual relationship. Right. You pay in the event that you have a covered loss, and you do what the contract calls for, 
you should be able to recover. And so let me ask you a question. Then very often these companies will throw a figure out to you, and 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 people think that's it. You know, this is it. This is it. They're going to give you fifty thousand dollars. They're going to give you twenty thousand dollars, and uh, and and, uh, and and there's no there's no getting around that. Maybe this is the only offer I'm going to get, short of having to go to court. It, but but you protect them from that to a degree. Well, that's true. You know, you have to realize if you've never had an insurance claim before, you have absolutely no idea how much they owe you. And with if you don't know how much they owe you, you don't know if you're being paid correctly. So 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 the mission. And, and then we have Craig Setzer from CBS4 on the phone. We're going to go to him okay. in a second, and we'll all talk to him. All right. But the, then the mission of, of, of East Coast public adjusters is, how would you define that mission for the folks out there listening to you? Well, we know what you're entitled to. So you know the contract. Right. And we also know what it costs to affect the repairs. Okay. So, so well, for example. There is no mystery. Right. And, but then you work with experts. You you bring in the, the, the engineering people who are specialists and whatever right. and make sure everything's done right. You understand the verbiage because sometimes the verbiage is so not lay-oriented that the, you don't understand what you're really entitled to. Well, uh, a, a lot of the, uh, the insurance commissioners have done a lot in the states to make it uh, more friendly towards the, uh, the insured. Okay. The insured has to, it has to be in plain talk. Let's hang on to that thought for a minute. We have uh, Craig. Are you there? Yeah. How are you doing this afternoon? <laughs> we're doing well. We're talking to uh, Pat Catania from East Coast Public Adjusters, and we're, you know, since the start of hurricane season, yeah. just a couple very, of weeks. Very complicated. I'll stick with hurricanes and meteorology. Yeah, you stick with that. Now, uh, first of all, thanks so much, Craig, for being on the show. Of course, Craig is with uh, uh, CBS Four right here out of Miami. And uh, uh, let me ask you a question. Just as we're looking at the season right now, Craig. Uh, good, bad, indifferent. I mean, how, how are you looking at it now uh, as an objective observer? Are we uh, on course? Are we are we straying? Is it unusual to have had a, a Category Three hurricane just the other day? Yeah, how, do, how do you feel about that? Yeah, that's that's a little that's a little bothersome, a little troublesome because uh, one of the things that we look at is is how early the Cape Verde season gets going, and we know from past experience, like in two thousand five, if the Cape Verde season gets going pretty early, then it's a very long Cape Verde season and we're more vulnerable and more exposed because a lot of the tropical waves become active and they keep coming our way. Maybe you should explain to the, the folks out there who are sitting in their cars on I-95 going north or on Useless One right now. W- w- I know where it is, but tell them where the Cape Verde Islands are and why that's important. Right. The Cape Verde Islands are off the coast of Africa. They're on the other side of the Atlantic, so they're on the opposite end of our hurricane basin. And there, there's several areas we look at for uh, genesis or development regions for hurricanes. Early in the year, we look at the Gulf of Mexico and off the east coast of the U.S. when fronts come down and they stall, and then something tropical may come up out of that. And then later in the season, once the Atlantic's warm and once we get these strong tropical waves coming off of Africa, those waves begin to develop. And it's very unusual for June or July to have uh, active tropical waves that become tropical. And so unusual, in fact, that the average start of or the average first Category 3 or higher hurricane is September 3rd, and this year we had one on June, July 7th. So, I mean, we're, we're way ahead of schedule, and uh, I think it's an indication that the, uh, that the Cape Verde season, which is the, 
the, the bowling balls, if we sometimes call them, that come all the way across the Atlantic has gotten a, a very early start, and there's no reason to think it's going to shut down and pause. Uh, it's probably underway and going to continue underway. Okay, so let's talk about that. Uh, the uh, the temperatures. What are the temperatures like in the uh, in the Atlantic, going to the Caribbean, the Gulf, and then going over to the uh, Pacific? Well, they're near or slightly above normal for much of the basin, but in uh, which is the Gulf of Mexico, Caribbean, and Atlantic. But they are a little bit above normal in the eastern Atlantic, and uh, and that's that's a little unusual. And one of the things that uh, Bill Gray, you know, the guy from Colorado State, who in the middle of the country forecast hurricanes. He, he has basically looked at a lot of the what's happened since 1995 when we got more active and has said that the eastern Atlantic sea surface temperatures, if they're above normal, that's a, probably a pretty good indication uh, that we're going to have a busier than normal season. We've seen that in terms of temperatures being warm out there this year, and I'm talking uh, Spain, uh, down uh, near the Mediterranean, and on the northwest coast of Africa, those water temperatures there down to the equator being warmer than normal. In fact, they are, and uh, that may be what's helping to, to get things going a little bit early. So l- let me ask you a question. Now, in the previous years, we've all heard the terms El uh, Nino and La Nina. Now, what we're in, in an El Nino uh, environment now? We're called, it's called uh, INSU, which stands for El Nino Southern Oscillation. It kind of is El Nino, La Nina, and everything in between. Uh, we're, we're in INSU neutral or El Nino neutral, so it's really not El Nino or La Nina. It's just kind of it's kind of uh, in the middle. So is that? I guess that's better than being in El Nino or one of the other. Well, whatever. One of them in, helps us. I, yeah, I thought it's better than being in La Nina. Uh, but uh, if El Nino typically creates enough shear in the Atlantic, even though it's an event that occurs in the Pacific, the El Nino typically creates enough shear in the Atlantic that that it suppresses hurricane activity. But this year, uh, no help from El Nino. Okay. Now here's another question, and I, you know, it's really interesting that people now. You know, watch weather all the time. Right. I mean, it's 25 years ago, 30 years ago. I can imagine when when the guy who who founded the Weather Channel came up with the idea and said, "I got an idea." You know that we got Turner's doing his thing. Why don't we have weather 24 hours? And, and I'm sure when you go to these VCs, the venture capitalists, and they said, "What are you crazy? Who's gonna listen to weather 24?" You know what? I'm up at three o'clock in the morning. I'm watching the Weather Channel. Right. Right. I, yeah. And I, I have my favorite ladies that, that are on that show right now. Yeah. I'm and not you know, go John, into it. John Coleman, who started, he was a a uh, meteorologist, I think, for ABC, Good Morning America, and he also worked out of Chicago. He started it, and and they they bought him out because they said, you know, your your thing's failing. You're you're not going to make it, and uh, it got turned around and picked up, and now uh, they print money up there. Well, yeah, because it's this globalization process, so it's very very important what you're having to say. But what and having now I'll get back to my point. I segued. The point is when I watched watched the Weather Channel last year, and they have it all the time. They talk about the jet stream, right? What now? Apparently, tell me if I'm wrong, because I'm just this lay guy, and you're the, you know, you're the meteorologist. But uh, the jet stream w- came down pretty far south for the last year, didn't it? Uh, the jet stream, yeah, yeah. What what we look at in the summertime uh, more than than the jet stream are the the highs that stretch across the Atlantic, uh, typically the subtropical high, and and a big subtropical high that extends into the eastern U.S. typically will block or deflect systems coming from the Atlantic toward us, keep some. Uh, to the south, we saw that saw that last year, where right. uh, Dean and Felix were just you know beeline storms that moved from almost due west or due east to west, and uh, and didn't turn much to the north at all. Uh, all right, now, but that shifted this year, hasn't right. it? I mean, from what I understand, so that yeah. we're a little bit more we're we are exposed this year, I guess. Yeah, it changes every year. This year, it looks like it, the the high is stronger in the eastern Atlantic, and what we're seeing is 
is kind of that effect with Bertha, in that Bertha was moving west and is now northwest uh, toward the Bermuda area. So uh, that's kind of that pattern out there. So what we have to be, I think, a little more concerned with are the storms that are down by the islands, uh, the Leeward Islands and the Windward Islands, because I think they're going to have a tendency to kind of ride around that high two more to the northwest and come uh, come at us through the Windward Passage and up by uh, Cuba and Haiti and Dominican Republic. So this is be this is probably a pretty good season to uh, get your act together uh, now. I think so. And people, you know, it's funny because people will say to me, "Okay, what's what's really going to happen?" Like I'm lying to everybody on TV, but I'm going <laughs> to give you the inside scoop. <laughs> right. But uh, now that you said that, tell me the truth. Yeah. We're dead. We're dead. <laughs> it's over. I, I'm a little more <laughs> concerned this year than I have been the past two years because there are just some indications that are similar to 2005 that that you look at that early Cape Verde start that. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're going to get hit, and it doesn't mean that, uh, that it's going to come here, but, but like Max Mayfield is fond of saying, it only takes one to hit you, and it's a busy season for you. But if there's more out there, you know, if you cross I-95 and there's five cars coming down the highway versus 20 cars, you know, what, what are your odds? Where are your odds better if you're walking across I-95? Right, exactly, exactly. So, all right, so the bottom line is, folks, you better be, be prepared for this season. This is a good time to make sure you have your supplies, make sure you've got your storm shutters, you know, make sure that you know, the repairs you're making to your house should be done now. Because hey, you're right. I mean, this is early in the season. We don't. I don't remember us having active storms until you know things really heated up and it was August. Right. That's what most people. You know, we lived through June and July, and it was you know it's summertime, and then in August we start paying attention to hurricanes, and September and maybe early October, and then it's over. And, right. and you know, we really got a wake up call in the uh, yeah, 2004 and 2005. I mean, we were already to Dennis. Uh, this time in 2005, and we were talking about Emily. Right. So, uh, all right, so that that's the thing we need to do. And, of course, CBS4 is out there to help us, aren't they? Well, we're trying to do our best. <laughs> uh, you know, give no hype, direct information, you know, tell everybody, you know, uh, what they need to know without trying to scare people. I mean, that's always the tricky thing because you're talking about something that involves risk and uncertainty. So uh, it's always a very, very fine line to walk. Well, listen, I, I know you're busy, and you got to get back into the studio. And we want to thank you so much, Craig, for coming on and just chatting with us for a bit. Uh, I really appreciate it. Sure, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. All right, man, take care. Uh-huh. All right, bye. Pat, this is a season, isn't it? Yes, it certainly is. So, all right, now I want to go back to East Coast. I okay. want to understand this. What is this opportunity? I, I, I framed it out a little bit before that people have the right to go back and, and reopen claims, and that's something that you do. And and let's talk about that, because there's a window that's going to close on this. Yes. Uh, you have five years. Uh, there's a statute of limitations of five years to uh, move forward with your insurance claim. And and uh, and then it's over. Right. All right. So now people can go back and, 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 and what do you do when you do that? You have to refile the claim and so forth? Well, we notice the insurance company that we're looking at it. Again, we'd like them to come out and join us and uh, investigate the claim further. Uh-huh. Uh, we look at what uh, the insured was actually paid at the time, and we assess whether they were uh, owed anything. Okay, and then and then the people who work for you, for example, the end, you have people who are experts in roofing, for example. Right. All right. So they file their report, and it's based upon that information. I mean, you don't unilaterally say, "Well, this we have to do this." You really research the stuff, these people, don't you? Yes, we do. So it's well documented. What I'm trying to say is that the stuff you do is very well documented. It's it's extremely professional, uh, and it's really predicated upon the framework, I guess, of the policies that these people buy 
and may not fully understand or are not getting full benefit of right. what they purchased. That's true. We understand theories like indemnification, putting them back in the same position they were in just prior to the event taking place. That I think that's can we talk, that's in this book as well. Okay. Uh, let's talk about that. What is that? What, people, I don't think people understand that. It's not like a quick fix. You have the don't you have an obligation? First of all, if you have a mortgage, don't you have an obligation to keep that home in a certain type of condition? And this indemnification is part of that, or maybe I'm wrong. Well, the theory of indemnification is the basis in which insurance is written, to place you back in the same position you were in prior to the event happening, no better and no worse. In order to do that, um, you, you have to look at what you started out with and then what it's going to take to pay, place you back in that same position. And it's, it, it's, it, the theory itself works very easily. The question is always asked, is this what I had prior to the event happening? And if the answer is yes, you don't have to go any further. The insurance company has done what they were supposed to do. If the answer is no, then they're going to have to continue to do something until you get back. Okay. We're going to continue with That's that point. Fine. I want to go back and discuss this indemnification. I want to discuss this, this poor family that is mentioned in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the early part of this book. The uh, Pinchera family and how they uh, were really up against the wall and how somebody had to go try and protect them and save them. And we're going to be right back on The Rich Hoffman Show. We're with Pat Katera right here from uh, East Coast Public Adjusters. We're on 1360 WKAT, and we're here for you. Don't go anywhere. If you'd like to improve and advance your business career and gain insight into developing top leadership qualities, then you need to register for the Skills for Effective Management program at Florida International University. This two-day program, which runs July 14th through July 15th, teaches leaders and prospective leaders how to foster a collaborative team-based business. It will help you develop effective skills and strategies that are essential for personal and organizational success. You will gain essential management communication skills, creative problem-solving strategies, negotiation tactics to help optimize outcomes and new methods for enhancing how your employees interact especially in a team environment don't miss out on this opportunity to build on your career to enroll for fiu's skill for effective management program starting july 14th please call 305-348-4217 at florida international university for more details or registration pizza fusion america's greenest restaurant is now open in weston saving the earth one pizza at a time pizza fusion serves a gourmet and organic menu of pizza Focaccia sandwiches, wraps, desserts, beer, and wine. All Pizza Fusion items are served in their purest form, untainted by the artificial additives such as sweeteners, pesticides, preservatives, and hormones. Enjoy our fresh salads, breads, dips, wraps, and pizzas, all made to order upon your request, with specialty toppings like goat cheese, Key West shrimp, wild lobster, spinach, eggplant, feta cheese, and more. It's all organic, natural, and delicious at Pizza Fusion. Come in today to Pizza Fusion at 2378 Weston Road in Weston and build your own pizza. Call 954-641-5353 for more information. Pizza Fusion in Weston. Saving the Earth, one pizza at a time! 
The Port of Miami is the second largest economic engine in our community, providing an annual economic base of over $16 billion and over 100,000 jobs. These are high-paying in-demand jobs, very much coveted by other cities and ports throughout the Americas. We're fortunate to have this business, and of that $16 billion, international trade and cargo at the port accounts for over $13 billion per year, a significant fact, as well as a significant economic impact for all of us. The Port of Miami, working to enhance and contribute to the economic success of our country, further reinforcing Miami and South Florida as the gateway to the Americas. A new terminal that is larger than some mid-sized U.S. airports. The new Miami International Airport. A new 350-space ground-level short-term parking lot. The new Miami International Airport. The only U.S. airport with sleep pods. The new Miami International Airport. The international gateway to the Americas with more flights to South America than all U.S. airports combined. The new Miami International Airport. And coming soon, 61 new retail and food shops to add to your airport savoir-faire. Come experience the new Miami International Airport and watch us move towards the future. The new Miami International Airport. Where in South Florida can you find a truly elegant hotel with 276 luxury guest rooms offering a newly renovated championship golf course, tennis courts, the largest hotel swimming pool in the country with private poolside cabanas, a world-class spa, and an award-winning fitness center with a restaurant that Zagat called one of the best restaurants in the country, all spread over a 150-acre tropical paradise landscape. Give up? At Biltmore Carl Gables, Miami, a golf and spa resort. Built in 1926, Biltmore Carl Gables, Miami, the golf and spa resort, is a South Florida landmark. With all the amenities to make your next getaway weekend or night away from the kids a memorable experience. Visit www.biltmorehotel.com for more information or call 1-800-747-1926 for reservations. Your next great getaway weekend or night out awaits you at Biltmore Coral Gables, Miami, a golf and spa resort. No one covers local, national, and world news like Rich Rothman. And no one covers local, national, and world shipping like DHL. DHL, customer service is back in shipping. Live from Atlantic Radio Network in Coral Gables, Florida. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? This is the Rich Rothman Show on 1360 WKAT. All right. I can't believe you found that song. I'm going to tell you something, Wanda. You are my hero when it comes to this music stuff. Hey, thanks. Because you know how to find it. I'm a jukebox. Pat, if you have to find a song, if you just know, you have to just email Wanda, and she's going to find it. If it's a movie, she'll find the clip. Mm, Not so sure about that. I'll give it a shot. Well, Better with the music. She has her her secrets. You're the movie guy. Well, I am the movie guy. Movies are important to me. Yeah. But uh, all right, so we, do we have Chris on the phone? Yes, we do. Hey, Chris. Yeah, hi. This is Chris Lancey. How you doing? How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Well, we're on the phone with uh, uh with Chris Lancey. Uh, we're on 1360 WKAT. By the way, our number is 305-447-3201. Sitting in this station with me right now is um, a Pat Catania from East Coast Public Adjusters, and we just uh, we're talking hurricanes, obviously, because this is the hurricane season. And lo and behold, in an early part of the season, Chris, we had a there was a Category Three out there. Yeah, well, it's pretty unusual. Usually, um, it's uh, wait until August or September before we start seeing the major hurricanes. Does that make you nervous? 
Um, well, no. I mean, we do see this occasionally, but it, it may foretell a uh, fairly busy hurricane season for the remainder of the year. And so, all right, let, let's talk about this. Where, you know, they say hurricane see- seasons are cyclical. And uh, and some of the uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, reports that I've seen say that for a period of time we were in a uh, sort of like from the 1950s or but from the 1960s. Cyclically speaking, how active or how inactive are we? Right, where are we if you were to look in, in a uh, in a framework of time? Yeah, when you look at the historical hurricane record, you do see periods for about 25 to 40 years where we're very busy, and about the same amount of time where it's quiet. And at the same time that Florida was gaining so much population during the 70s, 80s, and early 90s, we, we kind of have a hurricane drought. But since 1995, it's been extremely busy uh, most years, not last year. And I think this year is going to continue that trend. And, and, of course, if there's more of them or more out there, um, the chances for landfalls in the U.S. does go up. Can I ask you a question about the National Hurricane Center? Sure. And uh, there were some conversations last year that they thought that some of the uh, satellites were, weren't operating to the, uh, uh, the the premium level that they really wanted. Uh, where do we stand with that right now? Are we are we up to date in terms of prognostications? Well, our key monitoring tools are the geostationary satellites. Those are the ones that watch the Earth all the time, and also the aircraft. And those are working fine. In fact, we have upgrades to the aircraft this year to help us measure the winds right at the ocean surface. Uh, so really, we're, we're not in a problem. The the concern was that with a, an experimental satellite that NASA put up called QuickScat that can actually give you winds and direction over the ocean. And it, while it's held some promise and does help our marine forecasting, for hurricane operations, it was only marginally useful for us. Okay. So... Uh... Uh, so we're okay as far as that's concerned, because I know sometimes the news hypes these things out, and it's not really the the, the reality of the situation. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is something that if they have a next-generation version of the satellite, could really assist us in, in knowing exactly where the hurricane is and, and the exact size and the strength. But at this point, um, yeah, if we lost that satellite today, our marine forecasting would be adversely affected but the hurricane forecasting itself, I, I don't think we'd see a, a big degradation. Okay, um, let's talk for a second. I know that uh, you're, you have a, uh, an interest between glo- uh, discussing the link between global warming and hurricane intensity. A lot of people are saying that the intensity of the storms that we've experienced over the last few years is uh, could be or could, might be due to global warming. And then there's a whole large consensus out there that says, well, no, we're in a cyclical invol- in, environment right now. And it's not necessarily due to global warming. And it, our, what does the Hurricane Center think about that? What do you folks think about that? Well, I, I, first, I don't think there really is a consensus out there about how global warming is impacting hurricanes today and in the future. Uh-huh. And, and it, it has been a topic I've been looking at for about a decade. So, um, But what I'm going to tell you is just my opinion. I'm not going to okay. try to represent anybody else. All right, everyone. This is Chris's opinion. Be real clear about that. <laughs> yeah. And in general, it looks like, from all the evidence I've seen, that global warming should produce stronger hurricanes, but by a very, very tiny amount, on the order of maybe 1% stronger today and 2 or 3% stronger even 100 years from now. So even for a Katrina example, when Katrina was a Category 5 of the Gulf of Mexico, maybe 1 or 2 mile per hour of its peak 170 mile per hour winds, you could say maybe due to global warming. I, in my opinion, I think the, the concern about global warming and hurricanes has been overstated. 
Well, that's that's nice to hear. That that, that makes me feel better about things because I feel that way too. I I I I agree with you, and I know there's not a consensus because there is there are two camps. It's very political. It's almost a religion uh, to a to a degree the way people think about this, and it, and that that scares me a lot. Um, let me talk about some of the things that do concern you. What does uh, what concerns you about this season? Uh, looking at the uh, the fact that we had a Category 3 the other day. Are the temps higher than they should be? Uh, are the winds flowing differently? Uh, do we have uh, you know jet stream action that's different than you think? Is it, What's out there that, that can hurt or help us right now? Well, one thing that the Bertha does suggest is that when you get an early season hurricane coming out of the deep tropics off of Africa like it has, that that portends the, S, the rest of the year is, is likely to be busy as well. And it's mainly because there's changes in the atmosphere, less of that wind shear tearing apart the storms. And so we've seen that with Bertha, that winds that normally would kind of knock the tops off and disrupt the storm aren't there. And if they're not there now, uh, they're not likely to be there during the peak of the season, which is August, September, and October. What about steering currents? Is there anything that's different this year than last year? Well, unfortunately, we don't have a good handle on where the storms are going to go or where they're going to form. You could have a year like um, in 2006, where there was a bunch of hurricanes in September, but they all stayed over the open ocean and nobody remembers their names. Or you could have a year like 2005, where you had Rita and Katrina and Wilma forming close to the U.S. and getting steered right over either Florida or the Gulf Coast. So uh, we just can't predict the steering patterns more than a few days in advance. You know, uh, it's it's very interesting about... uh, my house, our neighborhood, was walloped by uh, by uh, Wilma. We live over uh, east of the uh, Federal Highway. We live east of the Intracoastal. In fact, we're right on between the port in Fort Lauderdale and um, and the ocean. And uh, and that storm was was a, a really hard. Next, I went through Andrew, and Andrew was a very scary environment for me. I mean, that really made me respect the storms more than ever in my life. Uh, but Wilma, I got to tell you, the last 40 minutes of that storm was a killer for us. Yeah, Wilma was a very nasty storm for several reasons. First of which, the track took it right over Dade County, Broward, and Palm Beach. So all three counties got really hard hit, and the Keys in Monroe County. And secondly, the size, it had a 60-mile wide eye. And so Bertha could almost fit inside of the eye of Wilma. That's how small Bertha is now and how big Wilma was back in 2005. And thirdly, it was a very strong hurricane when it hit. It made landfall on the west coast of Florida as a Cat 3. It only took four hours to go across, so it did not lose much of that wind intensity by the time it hit the major metropolitan areas. But the, and then also, I guess you have to add not, not just the centrifugal force winds, but the, the moving force, the, 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 uh, the movement of the storm going from west to east was quick as well. So don't you have to add that uh, miles per hour of winds or whatever, that, that factor to the, the intensity of the storm? Did that help or hurt us as well? Well, it is true that if a storm's moving fast, that motion of the storm adds to the wind speed as well. But we add that in for everybody automatically, so you don't have to calculate that yourself. But, yes, a, a fast-moving storm, if you're on the right side of the eye, the winds are going to be enhanced. On the left side, you're not going to get much at all. Okay, so here's my question. <laughs> going back to the nat- we're where is the National Hurricane Center positioned right now? Where do you where do you folks reside? Well, we're out at um, the west campus of Florida International University, so we're in West Dade County, um, just off the Turnpike in 836. So, uh, and you guys are fairly protected. 
Yeah, after Hurricane Andrew. The remember that one? Ran. Yeah, they, they realized that they needed a better facility because in 1992 they were on the Gables 1 Tower and Coral right. Gables. And they lost that, uh, one of their radar, uh, what do you call it? Oh, it was the radar. The big radar was on top of the building, 20-story building, and it landed on four cars uh, down below. Um, it was commissioned to get rid of it anyways for the new Doppler radar that's currently near the Metro Zoo. Um, but, yeah, that uh, Andrew kind of hastened the replacement of the radar and helped for us push us to a stronger facility. Where we're at now, it's a poured, reinforced concrete facility. It should stand up well for a Category 3, maybe even a Category 4. Um, when Wilma hit, for example, we shut off the commercial power before it even died on us, turned on our pig, two big uh, diesel generators in the back, and we were running off a of diesel power for a few days before the commercial power came back on, and we didn't miss any satellite data, any of the computer model data, and we got out all of our products on time uh, in, a, in a fashion to help the public out. So real quickie, where are you when the storm comes? When do you people really mobilize, and what does that mean? What, how do you do this? What's, your, what's the protocol? Well, the, the idea is that if Miami is going to get a direct hit from a hurricane, that the forecasters will be there at the center and, and realize that we may need to be there for a day or two days. Um, so we bring enough food and we have uh, shower facilities there. Um, we do have wonderful shutters, too, um, that just take us a few minutes to put up. Um, so we don't evacuate the hurricane center, even for a, you know, a major hurricane. We do have uh, plans, though, that if the facility is beat up pretty bad by an extreme hurricane, to send a couple of the forecasters to our sister organization in Camp Springs, Maryland, so they could continue doing the forecasting if needed up there. Wow. So, all right, real quickie, and then we're going to have to split. How many years have you been doing this now? Well, I've been doing hurricane research for, for 12 years, and then I've been at the National Hurricane Center for a couple of years. So I used to fly into the storms when I was at the NOAA Hurricane Research Division out on Virginia Key. That must be a thrilling experience. Yeah, that was a good time. It was um, an amazing way to investigate hurricanes. And uh, but scary? Now, now, Is it scary? It, yeah, it can be. Uh, the pilots, though, are, are amazing. They they really keep everybody safe as you're going through a fairly uh, fairly scary environment there. But uh, to see the the inside of a hurricane, uh, especially a strong one like a, like a George or like a, a Mitch or an Andrew, is just it's it's awe inspiring because of the the, the sheer beauty of the, the vortex of the hurricane. Yeah, it, it is amazing. It, it is a beautiful thing to look at, and it's so destructive. You know, it's the oxymoronic uh, uh, life of weather, I guess. You know, there are certain things that are gorgeous. Like a, I, I personally, I'm from upstate New York, and I used to love watching the blizzards. But then when it was all done, you're trying to survive in it, it was just disgusting. Yeah. You know, yeah, but I appreciated it. I, I did. Yeah, it's part of, of life. The older directors, the Hurricane Center, Jerry Jarrell, used to have a saying that, people at the forecast center at the hurricane center are there because they love hurricanes but it comes a point in their career when they realize that hurricanes are scary and they they go from loving hurricanes to, to hating hurricanes yeah it, it is a scary thing and, and and having gone through andrew and then uh uh witnessing wilma and seeing what it did to you know six houses in my neighborhood got literally taken out uh literally blown away including an a-frame that was right on the intracoastal had been there for years. It, the the intensity of the storm was so bad it literally split in half during the storm. Yeah, 
The one good thing that's been happening the last few years are the improved building codes in the, in the state of Florida. Yeah, thank goodness for that. We now have the best building codes in the nation, maybe even the world, when it comes to wind-caused damage. So any of the newer houses you know, have to have either the hurricane-resistant glass or shutters. And you look around, they, they weathered Wilma a lot better than the, the, the older buildings. Uh, that That's correct. That's correct. You, when you, and, and 